Good morning. This is the day the Lord has made. Boy, I was rejoicing this morning. I got up at 6 o'clock. It was 51 degrees. <laughs> Did that feel good? My goodness gracious. It got a little warmer today, but it, I hope this is the trend <laughs> because I'm ready for the trend. As we gather together here today, let us now lift up our worship as we come into God's presence with joy and prayer and singing. And on this Worldwide Communion Sunday, let's stand as we join together in our hymn of celebration number 548. Indeed, because it's true, in Christ there is no east or west, no north or south, but we're all one in the great fellowship of God's love. forward to receive our morning's gifts, tithes, and offerings.
thanks and praise, for these are gifts, tithes, and offerings. We present them before the throne of your grace and ask that you will use these for the ministry of your church. It is in the name of Jesus Christ, through whom we pray. Amen. Amen. Listen and receive a reading from the Word of God. Create in us a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within us, according to your grace and mercy. May we affirm our faith with joy and a willing spirit as we hear the scripture from St. John, 
chapter 4, verses 19 through 26. The woman said to him, Sir, I see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you say that the place where people must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father seeks such as these to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will proclaim all things to us. Jesus said to her, I am he, the one who is speaking to you. This is God's word to God's people. May we pray. Eternal God, we give you thanks for the reading of the word. Now pray, O Lord, your Holy Spirit to be upon that word. More than words that we have heard and even words on page with ink, but now living words. And that find by wings of your spirit a place in every heart and soul here today. And as good seed that finds its way to good soil, digs deep roots and brings forth harvest, may now this, the seed of the word of God, dig deeply into the soil of our souls and bring to us a harvest unto everlasting life through Jesus Christ, who is the living word of God and in whose name we pray. Amen. Well, how are we doing, Team Westlake? <laughs> now, you have given me an S. You have given us a T. You have given us an E. And today, I'm asking you to give me a W. W. Wow, you guys are online today. That means today, as I said last week, I am in a stew. <laughs> or as someone asked me last service, does that mean Saint you? So there's several ways to uh, say what that sign is telling us right now, but we'll see about that. We saw that S was for stewardship, T was for tithing, E was for evangelism, and W is for worship. When we commit ourselves to the church, one of the important things we do is commit ourselves in our worship to our church for God. These days, however, the concept of worship is up for grabs. We are actually having a culture war in the church today about what the word means. We have divided ourselves up and we call ourselves traditional churches or contemporary churches or seeker-sensitive churches or any other kind of churches that are seeking somehow, some way to connect with what they think people are looking for when they worship God. So let's ask the important question. What is worship anyway? Is worship the liturgy that we use? Is it the music? that we use? Is it the sacraments that we use and the way we use them? Is it the style of worship service that we use? Is it the forms that we use? Or the location or the time or the day that we use? It's interesting that you can come into a church and oftentimes people will say, if you come to church that's friendly, they will say, oh, no one was preparing themselves for worship by praying. And then you come to a church where everybody's praying to prepare themselves for worship, they say, what an unfriendly church that was. It doesn't seem that you can ever win. I sometimes think you kind of just let it float out and we'll be friendly and worshipful at different times, but are the two exclusive of one another? 
One of the problems is that we face in the New Testament when we talk about the form of worship is the fact that there is little form of worship in the New Testament. Now go back to the Old Testament, Brian. <laughs> there is book after book, chapter after chapter, verse after verse telling you how to do it, when to do it, the exact way to do it. Everything is worked out for you, but not so the New Testament. Our scripture today in St. John finds us in a 2,000-year-old discussion about what worship is. And we find ourselves in Samaria. It's that netherland of semi-Jewish culture and community that the devout Jew of Jesus' day would have avoided like the plague. Now, in the northern part of the country where Jesus is from, if you were making pilgrimage to the Holy Land, you always went on the east side of the Jordan River. You never went on the west side of the Jordan River because where Samaria was, you couldn't be sure that you weren't going to pass through some Samaritan land and make yourself unclean. So they just went all the way around so that they would in no possible way get there. Now the Samaritans were a mixed race. You see, the Samaritans were part Jew and part Gentile. That grew out of the Assyrian captivity of the ten northern tribes in 727 B.C. Rejected by the Jews because they could not prove their genealogy and they had intermarried with outsiders, the Samaritans established their own site of worship out to Mount Gerizim. And the scene in our scripture takes place at Jacob's well, which is at the foot of Mount Gerizim, toward which it pointed. Now, I've been to this well twice on my trips to the Holy Land, and two of those times I was able to visit a small village of Samaritans there at the base of Gerizim. And they actually worship in the same way they did in the time of Jesus. They have their own form of Hebrew. They have their own form of the Torah. They have their own form of worship. The last time I was there, it was unwise to travel there because of difficulties, and it reminded me of the hostilities that oftentimes were between Samaritans and Jews. But this is a key passage, my friends. This is a key passage about worship in the New Testament, for in five verses, the word worship occurs ten times. This is very important to Jesus. The Samaritan woman at the well says to Jesus in verse 19 and 20, Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and now you say that we must worship in Jerusalem that this is the place where men ought to worship. Now, this was an argument between the Samaritan and the Jew about where the proper place to worship God was. The Samaritan said it could only be at Mount Gerizim, and the Jew said it could only be at the Mount of Olives at a location which is now called the Dome of the Rock. And there is now on that spot what is called the Mosque of Omar, uh, it was built by Suleiman the Magnificent in the 16th century, and it sits on what in Arabic is called Haram el-Sharif, which means the noble sanctuary. And it was at this spot where the sacrifices of the temple were held. When I was there in 1972, I was able to enter the mosque, which is now closed to non-Muslims. And on subsequent visits, though, you are allowed to be up on the mount, but you can't go into the Dome of the Rock. And so the argument has been, as it was between Samaritan and Jew, so it has been in the church, where is the best place to worship God? Some churches meet in homes, like they did in the book of Acts. They say, well, it's in the Bible. Well, yeah, in the Bible, the church had just started. There were no churches. They were under persecution. Where else are they going to meet? We had Romans that were, in Roman times, meeting in Rome in catacombs. It doesn't mean we're going to necessarily meet in catacombs today. 
Some say magnificent cathedral is where people should worship. The stained glass and the towering steeples and the beautiful altars and the marble and the carved wood. This is the place where we worship God. And others say, no, no, it just must, must be a humble building. No decorations. That would be out of place. Others say to me, I can worship God on a mountaintop. But Jesus said, the place to worship God isn't found in any one place that you worship, and yet is found in every place you worship when you find God there. Amen. In verse 21, he said, Woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. How silly to say that God is contained inside a building and that cannot be found anywhere else, and indeed cannot be found everywhere else. I often conduct weddings in outdoor venues, and I have done so on occasion with Catholic priests. However, the Catholic priest is not allowed to officiate on non-consecrated ground, so the Protestant always gets to do the blessing of marriage. And I said to the priest, don't quite understand this. Is God not the creator of the world and all that is is, the creator of the entire universe? Yes. Then how can you say that this whole world is not consecrated to God and therefore this is unconsecrated ground and inside a church is consecrated ground? Isn't everything created and consecrated by God's hand? It doesn't take me or any human being to consecrate a place as holy. So Jesus said that the worship of God is emancipated from bondage to a place. He said that both Jews and Samaritans are wrong, that there is any necessity to worship in any place to be the only place that you can worship God. Then Jesus said, worship is not about a particular type or practice of liturgy. He said, matter of fact, the temple is going to be torn down. You're not going to be able to have temple worship anymore. All of the regulations, all of the ways that you used to do things are going to be completely gone. You're not going to have these things. And so that is not the way that you worship by a particular liturgy or by a particular way that you do something. Simply following a set pattern of ritual and behavior, Jesus said, does not equal worship. Now, I often hear people, when they talk about the different forms that churches do, I hear people say, well, Baptists do it the right way. Or the Presbyterians, they got it right. Or the Catholics are the only true church. Or the Episcopalians really missed it. Or the Methodists are really cool and are right 100% of the time. <laughs> I can dream, can't I? <laughs> okay, so if this is not what worship is, then what is worship? The word worship comes to us from an old English word influenced by the Saxon. It means giving worth ship to God, that is proclaiming the worthiness of God, the worth of God to be praised. Worship means giving God what he deserves and nothing less than honoring him for who he is precisely because God is God. Worship is about bringing a sacrifice to God. No, not like the temple, the goats and the sheep and the lambs and the cows. It is to bring the sacrifice of the human heart and the soul before the altar of God. Worship is about focused, centered, and brought to God. I'm afraid when we have tried 
as hard as we could to define worship, we forgot that worship isn't about us. Worship is about recovering a sense of the holiness of God in the presence of God's people, and that to that we give ourselves. That is what worship is about. Then Jesus focuses the answer for us when he says in verse 23, but the hour is coming and now is when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for such the Father seeks to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Twice Jesus says in two verses, we must worship God in spirit and truth. This is important to Jesus, and it should be important to us. If I can see in our worship that something is pointing to God in worship and truth, I know we're worshiping. If it doesn't, it's not worship. You see, it is not our duty to worship God. It is our privilege to come before God's presence to rightly give to him the worth that has belonged to God. Therefore, worship must be full of truth, and spirit, and they have to go together. I have seen churches in which they say, we're a, a spirit-filled church, and everybody loves each other, and yet there is no understanding of the truth of the church, the revealed word of God. They belong together. They have to be together. I see this all in the time when churches on one hand want everyone to believe just like they do, and have no mercy or love if another church does it a different way. On the other hand, I have churches say, oh, this is love each other, doesn't matter what we do. There has to be this uniting together of spirit and truth. Truth demands a spirit of love, but never loses the truth of obedience to God's revealed word. John Wesley wrote this. You cannot find your long-sought happiness in all the pleasures of the world. You cannot find it in the religion of the world, either in opinions or a mere round of outward duties. Is not God a spirit and therefore to be worshipped in spirit and in truth? In this alone will you find happiness you seek, in the union of your spirit with the Father of spirits, in the knowledge and love of him who is a fountain of happiness sufficient for all souls that he has made. So if this is worship, why do we need to do it? Because God has called his people together through the centuries to share in the journey of faith. I've often said that playing solitary Christianity is like trying to play a ball game all by yourself. Now you take any game of ball that you like, me just take basketball, and I grab my ball. And I go out in the backyard, I got a hoop there by the garage, and I'm, I'm, I'm doing my hoops. I am really good. I am really good. I just got 10 in a row. Hour later, two hours later, this is about the most boring thing I've ever done in my life. What makes a game of basketball fun? You're playing in competition, and you're playing with others. It's the most boring thing in the dude to just play a game by yourself. Can you imagine playing a 
card game by yourself. I guess you can play solitaire by yourself. But any other game, a card, you need someone else. It's just no fun just flipping cards to yourself. It's the same way in Christianity. You need the team. You need one another to be in competition to do what God wants you to do. You need to be together to be in fellowship so that we are strengthened to be able to be the kind of team that we need to support one another and play with one another and worship with one another. I often have people who tell me, I don't need to go to church to be a Christian. You know, I have never said in my entire life that anyone had to go to church to be a Christian. But I have said plenty of times that you need to go to church to be a better Christian because you can't do it by yourself. I have other people tell me why I can worship God just as well by myself on Sunday morning on a mountaintop. I've never said you couldn't do that. But I say what I'm going to do tomorrow morning at 6 o'clock, I'm going to call you, and if you are not on that mountaintop praying, <laughs> then I expect you to be in church next week. <laughs> Fact is, we need each other. And that is why we need your commitment in your stewardship to our church to be committed to be in worship because we are the church when God brings us together. That's the church that God wants us to be. And our scripture is one last lesson. The woman says to Jesus in verse 25, I know the Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. And when he comes, he will show us all things. And Jesus says to her, I who speak to you am he. When at last we discover that Christ is the center of our worship, our lives and our church, we have discovered what true worship is. When Jesus Christ stands in our midst and we worship him. Today is Worldwide Communion Sunday. This is a special day. This table looks pretty small, but it reaches around the world today. 75 years ago, following World War II, clergy from different parts of the United States got together in a world of division, of destruction, of hunger and poverty, of a, a world torn apart by war. And they said, what can Christians do? And they said, if there's one thing that we could do, that on that first Sunday of October, we'd join together, that every church would remember that we're part of the body of Christ and join hands together, all for one purpose, to praise Jesus Christ. It's amazing. The first time the sun came up on this day somewhere in the Pacific, we joined hands with that church joined to the hands of every church in between us till we got together here this morning to worship. And we'll go further than this as it goes to the place when the day ends somewhere where it meets in the Pacific. And that every church, whether it's Catholic or Protestant, whether it's Presbyterian or Baptist or Episcopalian, whether it's any brand or denomination that you can think of, we have done something together as the church to worship Jesus Christ. And that pulls us out of just being Christian by yourself and points to the power of the church in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Eternal God, we give you thanks as we gather here that you have called us together as the church. This is where we belong. 
And then on Sunday morning, as we gather together, we understand what it makes a difference that we're a team. Not just shooting hoops off somewhere by ourselves, but being a part of each other's lives and, and, and our concerns, our joys, of all the things that are important, of lifting our voices in different kinds of, of music, of being a part of different kinds of worship forms. It doesn't matter exactly what we do. It matters that we do it together. Help us, O oh Lord, to look forward to every Sunday being here to be the body of Jesus Christ for the purpose that you have called us, to give worth to the name of your own holy self through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, in whose name we pray. And to this, O oh Lord, we recommit ourselves, body, mind, soul, and spirit. Amen. So on this day, we are invited in worship to join as community and to join as family, to know that here at this table, we worship in spirit and truth at the foot of the cross, that in that we might experience more than simple elements, but the sacrament of God's grace that is given. For on that night, Jesus was with his disciples. He took bread and he broke it. He gave thanks and he said, this is my body which is broken for you. When you receive this, do this in remembrance of me. And following supper, Jesus took the cup of wine, he raised it, he gave thanks, and he said, this is my blood which is shed for you. When you receive this, do this in remembrance of me. Glorious and merciful God, we come to you today to worship in spirit and truth, to experience the reality of your presence in our lives that through your love and through your perfect sacrifice, we have received a, a grace like no other. We give you thanks and praise with all of those in faith who've professed and proclaimed in spirit and truth the reality of your son, Jesus. May we come now to this table to receive this sacrament that forever our lives will be transformed, that in it we might proclaim the mystery of our faith, knowing that Christ has died, Christ has risen, and Christ will come again. We pray that we meet you here, now and forever, through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. As the ushers and communion servers come forward to receive communion, just to remind you, you do not need to be a member of this church. You do not need to be United Methodist to receive, for God's table is broad and open to all. Should you desire, we do have gluten-free wafers. Please tell our servers. And following communion, Gary and I will be in the aisle to offer you a blessing. And may I invite us to join together in our communion hymn. Number 405, we'll sing it twice. Seek ye first.
Glorious God, we give you thanks and praise for your grace that abounds, for the opportunity to be a community in worship and in fellowship, to meet us exactly where we are, knowing you will never leave us there, but continue to call us forward and onward one step at a time in faith. So may today we join together in faith as we share and pray together the prayer that your son Jesus taught, that we lift our voices in unison with voices lifted around the world. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Will you please rise as we join together in our prayer response, Shalom to you. and take the hand of someone near you and join together today as this church in this place. We join hands with every church around the world. What a, a big group we are today. And may the power of our fellowship truly now in the name of God the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit send us forth to make disciples of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.